is going to be, I'm going to call it our primary text this morning. We are, um, we are expositional in our philosophy of preaching, uh, which means our attempt is to unfold a passage of Scripture to understand it better. And um, sometimes we're taking big sections, chapters um, of, of Scripture. Sometimes we're taking just a portion of a chapter. Sometimes we're taking just a verse. This morning, we are going to still be expositional in our philosophy, but it might be a little bit different than what you're used to, because this morning is actually a word study. We're going to drill into a word and see how that word is used several texts throughout the New Testament. So we're going to kind of trace that. So it'll be a little bit different than kind of our normal um, pattern. But the reason that we're focusing on this word is because it's in Titus 2, which we touched on last week. And so we want to kind of use that as a launching off point to better understand um, not only Titus 2, but how that concept relates um, through throughout the New Testament. And this morning, we're thinking of the power of an example or the power of a pattern. Let's just pause for a moment and ask for God's help as we look to His Word. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word, and we pray that through these moments that we have together to consider it, that You would teach us, that Your Son uh, would be high in our estimation and our understanding, and that, Father, we would grow more like the image of Christ through these moments that we spend together in Your Word. We pray these things in His precious name. Amen. So what do you think of Ikea furniture? Um, yeah, <laughs> well, right, it's, it's uh, fairly inexpensive. It's, you know, you can get kind of what you want for not too bad a price. All right, men, and, and maybe the ladies do this in your house, but I think probably generally it's men. What do you think of assembling Ikea furniture. <laughs> like that, that is horrible, right? Uh, you know, you get, you get this box with all of these bajillion pieces in it, and you got to piece this thing together, and the directions are no help, right? I mean, here's, here's some examples, right? Place progressive slides into the shelf supports, E5, and center the slides in the cabinet body, E2. Fasten slides in place with screws, E1, and, and note, extend and retract slides are required to gain access to the slide mounting holes. What? <laughs> like, how am I supposed to understand this? Or here's another one. Uh, insert eight wood dowels into the back of the panel assembly. Insert four cams into the bottom of the top and middle shelves. Make sure the arrows on each cam point towards the nearest edge with the holes. Insert four wood dowels in the four cams in the bottom shelf. Oh, my goodness. Like, how am I ever supposed to get this thing together? And then you take it and you flip it over to the other side, right? And you see this thing that looks like somebody put a stick of dynamite in the middle of the furniture and exploded it and took a, uh, took a picture mid-explosion. You know what I'm talking about? Right? That picture that's like, ah, it's starting to... And then you look at those directions and you go, oh, oh, I get it now. It, it, it's starting to make sense. When I see the picture drawn out, now that really confusing instructions are starting to take on it, it helps to look at a picture. We know, according to 1 Peter, that the Word of God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
So in God's word, we find our instructions for living. But God has also given us another means of grace, not to replace the scriptures, but to supplement what we are reading in the scriptures. And that is a picture. In fact, all around us, God has given us a means of grace in fellow believers who are kind of like the other side of the Ikea instructions. Like we read it, we we know what we're supposed to do, but then when we see it, a light comes on in, in a way that might not have quite been there when we just read the instructions. And that is a function of God's grace. We look to examples in Scripture. We admire them. But sometimes we feel like we're admiring even those at a distance. We know that Christ is our example, not man. But we often find ourselves asking, don't we, oh, what, what really would Jesus do? In this situation. And it's not just a a cliche phrase. I mean, we really want to know (laughs) what would it look like? What would Christ's response be? And so, in that light, there's a word in Scripture that helps us to consider this very truth. The word is pattern or example, depending on what um, translation you're using, and actually, even within a translation, which passage you're using. We see it construed in different ways. And so normally, as I said before, we take a a passage, a paragraph, a thought, and we unpack the meaning. Today, we're actually going to dig down to the word level and, and, and do an exposition of the imagery of just one word that we find in Scripture. So to flesh out the meaning of this word, we're going to look at several passages. There are actually 16 total uses of this word as a noun in the New Testament. And six of those occurrences deal with a believer providing an example, a pattern to other believers. In other words, believers are to be a pattern for other believers to emulate. Let me say that again. Believers are to be a pattern for other believers to emulate. So how is this word in scriptures? Well, twice in scripture, Paul cites himself as an example to be followed. So if you care to turn, you're certainly welcome to. You'll see it on the screen as well, 2 Thessalonians 3.9. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example. There's our word. To make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Now, many of you know that our English language, in large part, derives from Latin. Latin is the basis of what are called the Romance languages, English being uh, one of them, amalgamated with a bunch of Germanic stuff and it's just a convoluted language. Also, a significant portion of our language actually comes from Greek. So we import some Greek into our English language. And of course, Greek, as you probably know, is the language of the New Testament. All right, so This word in Latin is typus, meaning image. The Greek word is a derivative of the same root, meaning to blow or to strike. Now, you say, what in the world does the concept of blowing or striking or hitting, what does that have to do with the idea of an example? I mean, how are those 
two words related. So if you look in the extra biblical literature, what we find is there's an image that has been stamped by an impression, like, a, for example, a signet ring, right? So there's this relief on the ring, and that was stamped into soft wax to leave an imprint, right? That's the idea of how, those, how these words relate together. It is, it is the Greek word tupas, which referred now not just to blowing or striking, but actually the imprint that is left by that blowing or striking. See, still, still a bit theoretical to me, all right? We used to have these things called typewriters. Do you remember those? If you're not familiar with them, you can go to Facebook Marketplace and search under antiques, and you can find what's called a typewriter, right? And the old typewriters, they had these arms, right? You would strike a key, and that, that arm would come up, and it would slap against the paper, actually slap against a, a ribbon with ink, and then that would leave an impression. That's the word that is being used here, right? It left a mark on that page. Type, typos, you see the relation? That's, where we, that's how we carry this concept into English. So, so it leaves a, an impression on the paper. Uh, and this we even use when we talk about an example, right? Because we talk about uh, so-and-so left an impression on me. It's the same, the same idea. So this is what Paul is saying in 2 Thessalonians. We were a type. We were an example of how you should follow us. Another similar instance is when Paul says in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example... Oh, is that our word? Actually, no, it's not. That's, that's actually the word that we get our word mimic from. So literally, we could translate what he's saying here, mimic me. It's similar to what he says in 1 Corinthians 1, mimic me as I mimic Christ. But going on here in Philippians 3.17, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a, here's our word, pattern. In both of these passages, the apostle encourages others to look to him to be that pattern. Paul was an apostle. He certainly was not perfect, yet he still holds himself up as an example. Now, when I consider passages like this, I'm very convicted. I don't know about you, but I think to myself, could I say to others, just do what I do. Just, just follow my example. If you want to know how to live a, a Christian life, if you want to know how to be a biblical Christian, just do what I do. I mean, would you be willing to say that to another believer? What if, what if there were a new believer in our church and they just come to faith in Christ and they said, I'm really struggling to you know, live out this Christian life. I, I, want to, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm, just, I'm struggling to know exactly what that looks like. What if I said to them, I'll tell you what, such and such family has an extra bedroom at their house. Why don't you just go live there for six months, follow them everywhere, and just do what they do? 
what kind of weight that would, that would put on us. Okay, but let's face it, parents, right? That's what we're doing, right? We're saying, hey, hey, we got this bedroom here. You live with us for 18 years. 18 and you're out, right? 18 years and yikes, do what I do. And, and guess what? Whether you say that or not, it's probably what's going to happen, right? They're going to they're gonna look at your example, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the days when you're tired and run yourself ragged and, and aren't exactly walking in the spirit, and, and the other days when you're on your best behavior, they're going to see all of that, they're going to observe it, and they're going to, guess what, they're going to mimic you. Paul says, mimic me, follow me, because God has provided in his grace an example. Note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. It's not uncommon for corrupt celebrities or fallen sports stars to be trotted out in the media, right, for their, for their failings usually. <laughs> of course, you know, their excuses abound. Sometimes you will hear, uh, a celebrity, a sports hero, say something like this, I'm no moral hero, I just play basketball, or I just play baseball, or I'm not a moral hero. I get paid to act, I get paid to sing, I get paid to play sports, I'm not paid to be a role model. In the 1990s, Charles Barkley actually argued very publicly that athletes ought not to be role models. I don't know whether they should be or not. That's kind of a separate question, but the fact is they are, right? There's a lot of kids that look up to sports figures as role models. And anyone in the public eye, especially those who are in leadership, um, have a role to play as others are looking to them. Every one of us, probably everyone in this room, is to some extent a role model to someone. The question is not whether you are a role model. The question is whether you are a good one. If you're a manager at work, you're the president of your HOA, you're a senior in high school, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're an older sibling, Someone could point to you and say, do what he does. Do what she does. Now, this is a lot of weight when we think about the responsibility that we have as a moral example. So, let me give us two cautions to think about when we think about this matter of Scripture calling us to be an example, a pattern. First caution is this. Lacking a quality example is not an excuse for sin. Well, you know, I just, I just didn't have a dad in the picture who showed me a good role model, so that's why, I'm that, that's why I do that. That's why I'm that way. No, lacking a quality role model is not an excuse for sin. It is a function of God's grace that he often gives us role models that we can look to, that we can emulate, and Paul even cites that. But the fact that we do not have one is not an excuse for sin, so that's my first caution. My second caution is on the other side of the equation, is don't fall into the legalism trap. 
right? That I, I have to be perfect, right? Sometimes when we talk about being an example to others, it kind of gets construed that way. It, it kind of gets treated that way. Now, that is, that is crushing when you are trying to be an example. Like, if I mess up, all the people behind me are going to mess up. Well, there is a responsibility, but that, that fact that, you know, we have to be perfect in order to be the right kind of example, that's crushing. That legalism is not helpful. And it's also going to be disappointing for the followers because at some point we're going to mess up or even those who we look to are going to mess up. And so with those cautions in mind, let me just remind us that one of the ways or, or two of the ways, depending on how you how look at it, the, the, the way in which, one of the ways in which we are an example is also in our humility and our repentance, right? When we mess up, we're quick to admit, yeah, okay, I wasn't doing what I should there. Several months ago, I said something from the pulpit, and I'm not going to tell you what it was, because if you didn't catch it, you don't need to be reminded. I said something in the pulpit that was condescending to to someone. Not any of you here. I was using someone as an example and I said something condescending. Immediately after the service, someone in the congregation came to me and said, Pastor, what about what you said? And I had, I had a choice. I could have doubled down and said, well, I'm the pastor. I don't get it wrong. Or I could have said, yeah, I'm not going to defend that. I'm sorry. <laughs> like that was a dumb thing to say. And when you say as much as a, as, as a pastor does, you sometimes say dumb things. And I happen to, in that instance, choose the latter of the two. I don't know that I always make the right choice, but, but the reality is that we're going to do that as leaders, as, as those who others are looking to. And sometimes we just need to say, yeah, that, that, was, that was a bad thing. That was a wrong decision. Uh, that was a foolish mistake. Those were foolish words. And sometimes we actually have to be an example in admitting that we're not a good example. You see that? And so when we think about it in terms of God's grace and allowing Him to use us, uh, it will help us escape this kind of crushing burden that sometimes gets presented when we're talking about this matter of an example. We actually see in Scripture an example that is provided by an entire church. So when Paul, we've already cited the Corinthian church, but when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he actually cites them as an example, uses the same word, because they were transformed by the gospel. They were in the process of being changed. They, they weren't perfect people, but they were changing people. 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 1, the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. So, so he explains that the gospel came to you. What is the gospel? It is that we are all separated from God by our sin. And that Jesus Christ took upon himself the punishment that we deserve. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified and buried and rose again the third day. And when he rose again, he signified that he has the authority to offer forgiveness of sin to all who will come to him in faith and repentance. And if you will turn from your sin and depend on Jesus Christ alone for salvation, 
He will forgive your sin and put you in right relationship with God. This gospel, this good news, came to the Thessalonian believers in, in not just word, but in power. And so then he goes on to talk about this gospel. He says, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So the power was the power of an example, of, of, of a testimony. And you became followers of us, he says in verse 6, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, and here's our word, so that you, right, you followed after us, but then he says in verse 7, you became examples, that's our word, to all in Macedonia. This is the northern region of Greece where Thessalonica was located. It would be like saying all of your region, all of central Texas, all of your state, and... Achaia, the neighboring southern coastal region. You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. The other churches look to you in Thessalonica as an example of what it means to be transformed by the gospel. Basically, the entire region had been influenced by this one church. So real, so powerful was their adherence to the gospel. In verse 5, it says that it was empowered, that they, they were empowering them to be a regional example. They were empowered by the gospel. This morning, you may want to be an example to someone watching you. You need to know that there are those who desire an example, a light to watch, but you recognize your own inadequacy. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, or you're watching online and you're thinking, you know, Christians are hypocrites. Well, you kind of would be right. <laughs> um, the fact is we all are sometimes a liar, sometimes a cheater, sometimes dishonest. And you may wonder, well, why do I want to be a Christian? The fact is that this is the plight that we have, that we are sinners. But acknowledging that we are inadequate to save ourselves, we are inadequate to transform ourselves, is the very basis of the change that we are trying to exemplify. In other words, we're exemplifying change that occurs because of the gospel. Paul cites the Thessalonian church and he says, you are changed, you are changing, and others in the region look to that. Christ died not simply so that we could be good people, not simply so that we could be good examples to others. That would actually undervalue the death of Christ. But we do know that it is certain we cannot be the right kind of example without first coming to Him, without first receiving the gospel. So to simply challenge us to be a better example, a better father, mother, worker, public servant, whatever, to just simply challenge us to that is, is mere legalism. If it is not fueled by, if it is not informed by gospel transformation, that's really what is the heart of what Paul is appealing to here in 1 Thessalonians. It's an exercise in futility to say, I'm going to be a better example. What we need to be is transformed day by day by the gospel. So these believers in Thessalonica had received the gospel. It powerfully impacted them. Their church then became a shining example of the gospel. Oh, that we would be a church like that. 
a church where people are, are revolutionized by the gospel. So we mentioned parenting earlier, and the question occurs to me, how intentional are we about exposing our children to other godly patterns? This is part of why the local church exists, to give you and me allies in raising our children for the glory of God. You as a parent are, don't get me wrong, you as a parent are the primary responsible party for the discipleship of your children. But there are other powerful patterns around. Teachers, adults, leadership that can align with you. Let's be humble enough to admit that just our example might not be all that is needed in our children's lives. Let's be humble enough to admit that God can use others who are powerful patterns as well. It is an arrogant parent who thinks that they have it all. Everything that their parent needs. Now, I appreciate the responsibility that is recognized in a parent like that. But it is an arrogant parent who thinks that I'm all my children need. Henry Stanley found David Livingston in Africa. And he actually lived with him some time. And his own writings reveal that the time that he spent with Livingston transformed him. He says, for months after we met, I found myself wondering at the old man, carrying out all that the Bible said. Following God's word, leave all things and follow me. Little by little, his sympathy for others became contagious. My sympathy was aroused. Seeing his pity, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went about his business, I was converted by him, although he had not tried to do it. That's the power of an example. And so if we're in a position of, of leadership, of authority, a, a, an opportunity to provide an example, it comes then as no surprise that pastors are encouraged to be a pattern. In 1 Timothy, we see this passage, which isn't coming up on the screen properly, but be that as it may, 1 Timothy uh, 4.12, Let no one look down on, let no one despise your youthfulness, but be an Example, there's our word, to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And then in 1 Peter, pastors are appealed to again, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The word pastor simply means shepherd. In fact, here in 1 Peter, this very, the very next verse refers to Christ as being the, the chief Shepherd. So maybe at some time in your Christian journey, you have heard a pastor refer to himself or pastors refer to themselves as under-shepherds. That is an actual appeal to what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter when he refers to the pastors, to the elders as, as shepherds, but then he also refers to Christ as the great shepherd. So, so we are shepherds indeed, but we are shepherds under a great shepherd. We are under shepherds. One writer has said this, the mediocre teacher tells, the good teacher explains, the superior teacher demonstrates, and the great teacher inspires. This last 
passage that we just looked at speaks specifically to the responsibility. Uh, this pa last passage that we're going to look at, this is the one that we read earlier for our call to worship, speaks specifically to the responsibility of women to provide a pattern. And um, I know that probably you ladies have looked at this passage from time to time. Titus 2, we referred to it last week, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. <clears throat> that one who is an opponent may be ashamed and have nothing evil to say of you. This is an appeal. Uh, he goes on to appeal to women uh, to be an example of the believer to other women in the church. And of course, I appreciate the godly women that we have at North Hills who provide a beautiful pattern of godly femininity. Uh, ladies who provide an example set a, a, a spirit, just like, the, just like the, the woman of the house sets a tone for that house, so likewise in the church. And I'm appreciative of the wonderful spirit that we have from our ladies here in our church. Our lives are to provide an example. And so in Titus, Paul is giving a pastoral admonition. The broader context emphasizes the need for all to provide an example to others. And he goes through kind of this, this grocery list. Notice in verse 2, he addresses the older men's responsibility to show a pattern of being sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. In verses 3 through 5, he specifically addresses the ladies, as we mentioned. And then he goes on to ex explain how this expands throughout the church as an example. Many of you know that before we came here, I was a youth pastor, and youth pastoring taught me a good many things, even before we had children of our own. Um, working with teens for over a decade re reminded me of something. It, it brought a truth home to me, and it's a, it's a sobering truth, even now as I have a teenager and a soon-to-be second teenager. i reminded of the fact that I saw this illustrated again and again. Young people particularly teenagers, not only imitate, but usually exaggerate the strengths and weaknesses of their parents. And that's sobering, right? Because you know that whatever your strengths are, they're probably going to be a little bit stronger in that area. Whatever your weaknesses are, at least for a time, is going to be magnified in your young people. And of course, as a parent, that should be sobering for us. Some of you are perhaps grandparents. Even grandparents have a tremendous opportunity to reinforce what the next generation is trying to instill in the, the next, the third generation. I'm thankful for our parents and who are examples to our young people, um, who, are, who are kids, and, and even uh, the heritage that we have of grandparents who were a, a godly example. I think of a story uh, from the last century when Robert Ingersoll, the notorious skeptic, would give lectures. One time there were two college students who went to hear him lecture. As they walked down the street after the lecture, the one student said to the other, well, I guess he really knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? To which the other student responded, no. No, I don't think he did. Ingersoll did not explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God. And of course, this is our responsibility as parents. 
This is one of the reasons that call, God has called you and I to live in community with other believers. None of us lives the Christian life to ourselves. We are called upon to be faithful, uh, faithful committed members of a local church and, and not to rob ourselves of the opportunity of those around us who can, who can uphold us in prayer, who can provide this kind of example. You may say, well, I don't really need that kind of example, and perhaps not. Or perhaps someone else needs you to be that example. Don't be selfish by withholding that from them. All of us hold some form of spiritual leadership. It gives us a responsibility to be an example, especially if we've been saved for any length of time. And so this reminds us of, of the theme that we've kind of been linked to over these last few weeks. Do you have someone that you are actively working to disciple? Someone that can look to you as a pattern or example? Uh, this mentoring, this discipleship that we've been talking about. It's our goal as a church that everyone has at least one person who they look to as their, as their pattern, as the one that they're following after, as the one who is discipling them. Make no mistake, we are but feeble traces of the true pattern of Christ. But He has called us to be disciple-makers like Him. You want others to be faithful in worship. Show them a, a pattern of faithful attendance. Do you want to see others serve? Show them what it looks like to serve. Do you want others to spread the gospel around the world? They need to see us doing that as well. A number of years ago, I was interning at a college, or excuse me, at, during college, I was interning at a local church during the summer, and they did this great, big, gigantic, extravagant vacation Bible school. And one of the things that they did in building up to, leading up to that, um, that Bible school is they literally created about a two-and-a-half-story mountain out of plywood. So in their, their gymnasium area, their fellowship hall area, they took, they took sheets of plywood and they mounted them on two-by-fours. And then they took um, a projector and projected an image on that plywood, which we then traced took down and cut, put back on the two-by-fours and painted. So, and then they set this up out in the front lawn of the church. So when you drive by, there's this gigantic mountain with the logo for, for the Vacation Bible School on it. I am not a good artist. If you asked me to sit down and draw those mountains, that logo, I couldn't do it. But you know what? I can trace a pattern. Right? If, you, if you take that projector and you throw it up there on that tube, I can take a marker and I can follow the line. Right? It doesn't take as much to do that. That's what we are encouraging others to do, to trace our pattern. It may not be perfect, and, and as we trace the pattern of Christ, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have spots that aren't, aren't perfect, but we should be looking to others, even who can provide an example for us. We're reminded by this simple little word in Scripture that believers are to be a pattern for other believers. Father, we thank you for the reminders that we see in your word. And in these moments together, may we consider well the responsibility that we have to show a pattern of good works to others.